All right, well, we're in the middle of a series we've been calling High Five. And uh, that's, there's a picture of high fives that we had up there last week. I thought that might show up. Um, and uh, we've been looking at top five verses. And uh, for those of you who have uh, smartphones, iPads, iPhones, um, there's a Bible app called YouVersion. And uh, it's one of the most used Bible apps out there. And uh, they track information uh, when you, for example, share a verse that you've been reading. You can share a verse to Facebook or to Twitter or to whatever else is out there. You can share it um, with your friends and family and all that, uh, with the whole world. Or there's other ways you can highlight verses. And they track both the shared verses and the highlighted verses. And they track those, I think it's in about 10 different countries that they have version kind of up and running. And they track those things. And actually... They're different, the ones that are shared and the ones that are highlighted are different in almost every single country. Anyways, lots of these verses um, are well-known verses, but sometimes they need clarification. Sometimes they can get bent out of shape a little bit when they're out there. And so we thought we would collect from these lists our top five verses, significant verses that we thought we would want to reinforce or clarify um, for us. So this week we are looking at a verse from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, I think there's a lot of weight that hangs on, um, these verse, on this particular verse. I think if we get it right, we are liberated, focused, and content. And I think if we get it wrong, we are headed for worry, crushing disappointment, and great loss. Now, I should also mention, um, if you're just catching up, maybe this is your first week into the series, or maybe you've missed some along the way, um, you can always go to uh, hillcrestmj.com, find our podcasts, and you can listen to um, many podcasts all the way back through um, for several years. So if you're wanting to catch up on a number of things, um, you can always catch up that way. You can get there on your mobile device or on, uh, on your computer at home, and you can review some of those. But anyways, let's jump in. Some reasons why I think this particular verse needs some clarifying. Uh, perhaps you're not a Christian. Maybe you're just curious about Christianity or checking it out. And you hear a verse like this, and it might sound like to you, if I become a Christian, seeking first and all that, if I become a Christian, then God will give me what I want, all these things. Perhaps you are a Christian, and you have some notion the same, that I become a Christian, I get all these things. You might find yourself disappointed if you find yourself where you're, some, where you're lacking this. And uh, another need for ha- perhaps for clarification um, is someone who's asking, well, what about the people in history who were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but were left without what they needed to survive? What about those who starved to death? What about those who froze to death? They didn't have what they needed and they were seeking. Perhaps that's a question on your mind. So to get perspective on this verse, uh, we're going to back up, look at the um, verses that kind of lead up to this moment, try to get a handle on some of the ideas in play, and uh, trust the Holy Spirit um, as he speaks to each one of us. And then we need the courage to do the hard work of reordering our loves. I'll explain that. Uh, as we continue. But let's pray together as we launch into this. Father, we just, in this moment, 
want to open our minds, open our hearts um, to you and what you would say to us. We ask that your scripture would um, help us in doing that. And uh, we just ask that you'd also help us to get rid of the distractions that we might have, uh, but to keep our minds and our hearts engaged as we walk through your word that we would hear from you. Help me uh, to preach well. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, we're going to back up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And Harry's going to put that up on our uh, screen for us so you can follow along. Um, if thoughts uh, or pictures come to mind as we're reading, you know, write them down. God might be speaking to you, and uh, you might not know what exactly all that is yet, but as he speaks, um, don't miss it. Okay, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Um, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You've little faith. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So our verse today, seeking first the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about first, seek first. What does that mean? What does it look like to seek first? This is an active priority. It has to do with focus and alignment. This priority brings all other things into alignment or focus. All other things must be understood in light of this. Seeking first. Okay, his kingdom. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Where a man when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. That comes from later in Matthew in chapter 13, verse 44. 
Now, in the not-so-distant past, um, we've looked at the idea of the kingdom at Hillcrest. So for those of you who have been here for a while and tracking with us, um, you might recognize um, language of the kingdom. What is that? And, um, you know, March 2014, we talked about the kingdom. Uh, March uh, through May of 2013. And in the fall of uh, 2013, we did a series called The Tangible Kingdom. Um, and again, I'd encourage you to review those messages um, in our podcasts. And uh, again, I think that will enforce and strengthen uh, the teaching from this Sunday. So if you get the chance, uh, do that. But quickly, the kingdom. First, the kingdom is not just heaven, that place that we go to after we die. It is not seek first your ticket into heaven and then live as you please until you die. The kingdom is any domain in which God rules where he is the functional Lord. That means he gets to rule over the decisions you make about your house, your car, your kids, your school, your work, your money, who you spend time with, who you don't spend time with. He doesn't get a say, he gets the final say. And uh, and just finally on the kingdom, the kingdom is where he rules fully and eternally. Matthew 13, 44, the parable, the kingdom is like a treasure It requires sacrifice, but the rewards are incomparable to the cost. Let's touch briefly on his righteousness. I see two aspects of his righteousness. First, we are to seek his righteous character, showing up in our lives, whether by duty or by by desire, whether you're doing it even when you don't feel like it, or sometimes even when you do feel like it by duty or desire. That means we act with the same love and kindness that we see in him. We can't seek only to enter heaven when we die, but we must enter the kingdom of heaven as we begin to live with the character of God. Um, This is expressed in the Bible as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the first part. The second part, we seek his righteousness. As in, we will never have a righteousness of our own that will compare to his. We trade our broken, sinful selves and receive his righteousness in our place. Jesus trades his life in righteousness for our death and sinfulness. We must seek his righteousness. All these things, food, water, and clothing are the necessities of life listed in this verse, but I don't think it's an exhaustive list. There are other things that we need for human flourishing. When we do as the pagans do, we chase after all these things with our greatest efforts because it's our first priority. So we need to change and make first things first if we are to seek first his kingdom. Now, the Bible talks a lot about priorities. In fact, um, looking at the Ten Commandments, or the Golden Rule, perhaps even, in the New Testament, we see that there is a first. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7, this is uh, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, The second commandment is a reinforcement of the first, and it speaks of idolatry. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, am your God. I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Idolatry. Um, Timothy Keller says of idolatry, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel that my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. So as you read through the Ten Commandments, they are really all about idolatry. About misplaced worship. They are loving something or something else too much and in place of God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So the name of God, somehow in my mind as a kid, this meant saying bad words. Anybody else have that kind of a connection? <laughs> um, and I don't think that's specifically what it's talking about. <laughs> the name of the Lord is the truth of who he is. Throughout the Bible, there are many ways that God reveals himself, and we know these, as many spots of these, as the names of God. The Lord will provide. That's one of his names. The Lord who heals, the Lord who sanctifies, the Lord our peace, our righteousness, our shepherd, the Lord who is there, the Most High, the everlasting God, the mighty God. To misuse the name of God is to place your trust in something or someone else, and this is idolatry. The Sabbath, a day off from work. When you break this command, whether by overwork or by underwork, you are making something else or someone else an idol. Children, when they, when they disobey their parents, are making an idol of something or someone else. They are worshiping independence, perhaps. When you murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony, covet your neighbor's wife, covet anything, you are making an idol of something or someone else. At every turn, there's idolatry. We choose other gods all of the time. Now, in our culture, um, perhaps we think of idols in other places, or even when we look at the biblical narrative, the story in the Bible, we see them as these spiritual entities lurking, and sometimes they're embodied somewhere in a shrine or a statue or something. Um, in our world, though, Perhaps that shows up in different ways, but they hold power. They hold the power that we give them, and ultimately, every idol will crush us. Now, even of these commandments, uh, Jesus refined them, seeing that all ten are essentially, again, one repeated over and over again. Jesus sums up 
the commandments in saying this. This is Matthew 20, uh, 22, verse 37 to 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, in our context, I think often churches talk about sin, or maybe some don't. Um, people talk about sin, the sins that we commit, the things that we do that we think we shouldn't do. But largely we are talking about the behavioral outcomes of an idol. And sometimes we try to stop sinning without tearing down our idol. Most people are blind to what they truly worship. They see behaviors showing up. They see certain actions happening, certain um, things carrying on in your life. But we haven't done the hard work of trying to tear down our idols. As you read through the Old Testament in the Bible, there's lots of talk of tearing down idols. And uh, I wonder if we miss it sometimes. If we are to seek first, we must tear down our idols because they are the things that compete for first. If idolatry is loving something too much, we must reorder our loves. Now, as we back up and we're going to look again at this text that we read, we're going to mention a few of these things that are perhaps um, an idol for you. And again, I don't think this is an exhaustive list. And uh, we're going to try our best this morning to highlight some so that if there is something that is competing for first in your life, you'll know about it. Okay, as we, as we continue, we're going to look at these verses again. So, in this text, uh, it speaks about treasure in heaven and on earth. One thing that lasts and one thing that will be destroyed in time. Um, in uh, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasure can be in this world or in heaven. One of these locations is here now, but ultimately everything and everyone left here will be destroyed. One of these locations is eternal, where everything and everyone is made whole. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is the hard question you need to answer. Where is your heart? We are tackling the idols of our hearts. An idol is anything that gets more love than God. Perhaps you love money too much, or perhaps your kids too much, perhaps your spouse, maybe the significance you experience through your work, perhaps the thought of one day finding your true love. I'm not sure what those things are for each of you, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you about what those things are. We're being challenged to search out what we love too much and replace it with God. Where is your heart? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are unhealthy, or if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I think it's important to mention that much of what we idolize comes from what we see. When we are seeing with unhealthy eyes, we aren't focused on the right thing, 
we be filled with darkness, but when we are focused on his kingdom and his righteousness, we can see clearly, we come into focus and alignment. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not surprising in a conversation about reordering loves that we run across money. Money gives us the illusion that we are in control. It gives us a sense of security and power. But both of those things can't be found in money. They can only be found in God. Money can't guarantee your health, can't guarantee you the love of your family and friends. Many of us know this, but few of us actually live like it. Functionally, we believe that money can solve every problem that we face. And uh, we believe, believe that it will also make us happy. Do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God's clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, or was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry. What shall we, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Perhaps one of your loves that is out of order, that you love too much, is fashion. You spend more than you even think you should on clothes that you don't wear as often as you thought you would, and they go out of style quicker than you thought. Now, donating the clothes that you no longer want doesn't justify the spending, or free from the enslavement to ever-changing fashion trends and the need you have for clothes to make you into the person that you see yourself as. You don't gain the kind of influence or acceptance that matters through what you wear. Mind you, some new clothes are more fashionable and modest than thrift stores. It's okay to be fashionable, but you don't let fashion control you. Um, but I won't say more on this. Again, you need to seek the wisdom of God and what he says to you in this area. For some of you, worry is crippling. It incapacitates you. Worry is believing that you know how things should go and that God isn't going to get it right. Worry is often not about trusting that God is capable and all-powerful, but rather it is about trusting that he loves you and is going to do the very best thing for you. The text doesn't say, don't worry, I'm all-powerful, how dare you doubt me? Listen to the tenderness, the way that he speaks to the worrier. He says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, let's consider the beauty in the world, let's just calm down. <laughs> right? And then he speaks as a father and says, I value you high above all these things, I know exactly what you need. Every yes and every no is because I love you. That's what he says to us. But seek first his kingdom and 
all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> worry is not one that I often struggle with. I find it pretty easy to be, do not worry. And I'm like, okay, I can relax. Um, but uh, oddly enough, I'm even reminded in that verse that, hey, don't worry. And just kind of as he's calming the worrier down, it seems like at the end he's kind of ramping up there again. Doesn't it seem like that? Just don't even worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, whether you're a believer in Christianity or not, there is something competing for first place in your priority list. I have 20 questions here to help us diagnose our idols. It's not quite as fun as playing 20 questions, but here we go. Again, if you have a piece of paper or your phone out, I want you to just, as we read through these, as things are coming to your mind, write them down, consider them. Uh, I invite you to pray about them as we go through here. Um, and I pray that, yeah, the Spirit of God would help us to not only deal with the behavioral outcomes of us having an idol, but we would be able to deal with the idols that we have, that we would be able to make him first. So, I'll read you some of these statements, make a few comments on some of them, and, uh, and let you do the thinking on these. Life only has meaning, or I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. power idolatry. Life only has meaning, or I only have worth if I am loved and respected by who? Someone. An approval idolatry. Life only has meaning if I have this kind of pleasure experience or this particular quality of life a comfort idolatry. Do you have a vision of your life that is all-consuming? You'll be happy when you have the right house or the right yard or the boat or the cottage or the toy or the experience. Life only has meaning for me if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of Control idolatry. Life only has meaning for me if people are dependent on me and needing me. Perhaps you have a helping idolatry. Life only has meaning for me if someone is there to protect me and keep me safe. Perhaps you have a dependence idolatry. Life only has meaning for me, or I only have worth if I am completely free from obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone. Perhaps you have an independence idolatry. Life only has meaning if I am highly productive and getting things done. A work idolatry. My life only has meaning if I am being recognized for my accomplishments and I am excelling in my work an achievement idolatry. 
My life only has meaning if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. My life only has meaning if I am adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplished in its activities. My life only has meaning if this one person in my life is one person is in my life and happy to be there and happy to be with me. Life only has meaning um, if I am totally independent of organized religion and I'm living a self-made morality. My race and culture is assent and recognized as superior. My life only has meaning if a particular social grouping or professional grouping or other group lets me in. My life only has meaning in a particular, um, or my life only has meaning when my children and my parents are happy with me. Remember, it's not idolatry to love your family. Your goal should not be to love your family less, but to love God more. When you love him first, your love for your family will be the most potent and meaningful. It will be the greatest blessing you can give to your family. Love God more and your family will thank you. Love God more and it won't matter if they do. Love God more and you will be free to love them without needing them to be your source for identity, affirmation, and love. My life will only have meaning if I find Mr. or Mrs. Wright and they are in love with me. My life will only have meaning if I'm hurting in a problem. Only then do I feel worthy of love or able to deal with guilt, a suffering idolatry. My life only has meaning when my political or social cause is making progress and ascending in influence or power. My life will only have meaning if I have a particular kind of look or body image. In this list, as I was considering these, um, the one that stood out to me uh, for myself was the work idolatry. I'm highly productive and getting a lot done. This is one area where I struggle. Uh, this past fall was a hard uh, season for us and my family. Uh, my mom passed away in September. And I was reflecting sometime in January. <coughs> Pardon me. And I was stewing about what I had lost. And I wasn't even thinking of my mom. I was thinking about my productivity. I was thinking that I had lost personal momentum and efficiency at work. There were projects I didn't get to do. On top of mourning, I missed a few weeks of work due to a few colds and I had hand, foot, and mouth disease. I was feeling like I had lost time. I wanted a do-over of a fall. It's easy for me to come home after a productive day feeling great and difficult for me at the end of a day where I struggled to get anything done. I often judge other people based on their ability to get things done. And this is an idol I need to tear down. The thing about idols is they can't just be removed. They have to be replaced. This is the idol that I'm replacing with God. In the past several months, over and over again, he has reminded me through verse after verse, 
through conversation after conversation that I am his son, not just his servant. That he gave up his only son to make me his son. That on my best day and my worst day, all I can offer him is his righteousness. If you have an idol you need to deal with, you need to go to the cross. At the cross, we are laid low because it reminds us that we deserve death, but we are also lifted to heights we can't imagine because he loved us enough to die in our place. When we see Jesus, we love him more, and ultimately we will love him most. You know what you get when you seek his kingdom and his righteousness? You get him. You get to know the all-loving, all-powerful, eternal God of the universe. Truly, he is all we need. Even for those who lose everything in this life, they have everything in him. I'll invite the worship team to come back now as I close. Is God speaking to you? about a certain area in your life? Has something come to mind as I've been um, talking and reading the scripture? Can I urge you to respond by praying with someone this morning? Perhaps there is someone in your life group you can connect with. Perhaps you need to talk with them, go for lunch with them. Our prayer teams will always be available. Um, They can meet you here at the front Uh, and pray with you, or you can venture off into our prayer room if you would like to take some time there. As we close this morning, um, we're going to sing a song called Forgiven, and uh, it just speaks of being embraced at the foot of the cross and uh, what Jesus has done for us to give, uh, give us and show us his love. And for all that he's done for us, he is worthy of the first place in our lives. So as you pray or as you stand with us in worship, um, would you seek to make him first? And uh, as you go on your Father's Day, just want to say happy Father's Day. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful time if you're getting together with uh, family today. Uh, And for those of you who even uh, Father's Day is perhaps painful um, for a number of reasons, just want to say our hearts go out to you as well. And... uh, I hope that on this day, um, our true Heavenly Father will bring you his comfort and love.